It's a cold night in Manhattan. I'm walking down 42nd Street on my way to Grand Central Station. Sitting on the sidewalk with his back propped up against the side of a Model sporting goods store is a man with a green baseball cap pulled over his eyes. He has his hands pressed together at his chest like he's praying. Can I talk to you for a second? Uh, how long have you been doing this? Six days. He has a basket before his feet. And resting on his shins is a piece of cardboard with a message. My mother just passed away from breast cancer. I need $68 for a ticket home. Have a heart, please help. Where's home? Tennessee, like 11 miles out of Nashville. And don't you have anybody else in the family who could who could help you with no, that? I'm a, I don't have any brothers or sisters. My dad, that's a long story. And no, not really. So how close are you to getting your goal? The whole thing cost 68 I got like 33 bucks. The guy tells me he came to New York looking for work. And it just happened out of nowhere. My mom passed away at a... She last she went to radiation treatment. They told her to come back a month and a half, and four days later she passed away. I'm really sorry to hear that. This guy seems really sincere, and I really want to believe him. But in all honesty, I'm not sure if I'm being played. I mean, how do I know if his mother died or if he's really going to go to Tennessee? And does it really take six days to get sixty-eight bucks together? I tell this guy that many of my friends would think that he's one of those scammers. That's what a lot of people say. I mean, unfortunately, the people that, you know, are are trying to do something, you know what I mean, don't really get the help they need because of other people that ruin it for everybody else. You know what I'm saying? They, they think that you're going to go and take this and, like, buy alcohol or drugs. That's what a lot of people... That's what ruins it for others. Thank you very much. So you're getting closer to your goal. That's 34. <laughs> to tell you the truth, this is a much longer conversation than I usually have with most panhandlers. That's because the moment they make contact with me, I'm a goner. I have trouble saying no. And so I usually make a detour around panhandlers to avoid having to open my wallet. But today, this dude is really pulling on my heartstrings. But is he scamming me? I don't know what to do. I guess he needs the money, probably more than I do. Um, I'm going to give you a little more money towards your goal. I pull out my wallet and drop a five in his basket. Thank you. Can, can you tell me your name and where you're from? My, I'm Michael Efren, and I'm from Nashville, Tennessee. Good luck to you. Stay safe, Michael. I'm sorry about your mother. Thank you. I appreciate it. Am I a sucker? I don't know. From West Virginia Public Broadcasting, this is Us and Them. It's the podcast where we tell stories from America's cultural divides. I'm Trey Kay. For this program, I've been thinking about panhandlers. You know, the folks who stand at the street corner or who tap at your car window, staring at you with forlorn eyes, looking for a handout. Should you give them something? And if you do, are you helping them or hurting them? And how can you know? 
It seems like everyone has a theory about what panhandlers are up to. When it comes to giving to panhandlers, people seem to divide into two camps. People in New York City have to make this decision every day. So I asked them about it. Do you give money to panhandlers? I do. How come? I just figure if they're asking, they probably need it more than I do. Depends how much cash I have in my wallet and if I have low bills, to be honest. If I only have a 20, I'm usually not going to give it out. But if I have singles, I'll usually give one or two. Do you, do you care what they might do with the money? Not really. Not, not to be like, it's not my business. They need the money more than I do, I figure. So if a few dollars will help them more than it'll help me. Why not? But what if they go buy booze or, or buy drugs? They're in a tough place in life, and that's what they need. I don't know. It's not like if they don't get the dollar, they're not going to get booze and their life is going to magically go crack course. A few dollars can help someone more than it'll help me. Why not? Some people give, but selectively. When I was in Paris, I saw a lot of women with children on the street, and that for me was difficult to see, so I felt more like I needed to give them money. If they have puppies. Yes. That's That's true. Yeah, pulls on my heartstrings. I have to give them money. (laughs) Really? Yeah. I get so sad. Because they can't eat and also they can't feed their pet as well? Yeah, exactly. It's two lives. And I just love puppies. Some people are happy to give, but are a little wary. Sometimes I do them. It just depends on if my instincts tell me to, you know. How would you? A gut feeling. That's it. It's just, it's just, I can't really describe it. It's just something that when a person is either there, you know, they... Asking for money, you know, you just get something from them, you get a certain vibe from them that they really are in distress. And if for some people, you know, you just kind of know that they're just out there begging for their next, next fix or whatever the case may be. And some people take the panhandler at their word and don't read too much into the situation. I mean, some people I'm talking to, they say, yeah, I don't want to give it to them because they're going to go buy drugs. drugs. Yeah, but we never know what they could be using it for. Like, we can't judge a book by its cover. We never know what that person's on the street for. That person might not be on the street because of drugs or alcohol. They might just have bad luck. So if we, th- if we think everybody's going to go buy and use drugs, that could be us. I mean, I mean that, that, that could be me. It could be you. It could be anybody. Thank you. This last guy was a Salvation Army collector, so he has some perspective on depending on the kindness of strangers. But that thing he said... That could be me, it could be you, it could be anybody. Man, I could dig that. I mean, I've been on a jag of bad luck before. I wasn't strung in on drugs and I've never been homeless, but I've been through some pretty tight financial times when I went through my penny jar just to ride the subway. It was a time when I was first trying to break into being a radio producer and I was living really low to the ground. And I remember sympathetic friends frequently having me over for meals, and and I was most grateful. So maybe I should give something back by giving to panhandlers. But some people think that's a bad idea, for lots of reasons. Do you give to panhandlers? Uh, no. You, You never do? No. How come? I don't know, just they have to find a job to get to, to work through their lives. Because I've seen a lot of alcoholics drinking, not really working. They're just lazy, they don't want to work. That's the reason. 
Some people said that panhandlers are a nuisance because they give a black eye to the neighborhood and they drive customers away from businesses. Others said they feel unsafe with panhandlers around. But mostly, people just don't trust them to be honest or genuinely needy. There's a fellow that almost every day will show up on the same train at the same time saying, I don't have enough money to get to X. So you become a little callous in that. So, you know, who's telling you the truth? Who's not telling you the truth? I've seen some people wearing, uh, like, $200 sneakers panhandling. So you tell me, why would I give that person money? Because some of these guys, again, $200 sneakers and you want money from me? So, no. Do you give money to panhandlers? No, I'm afraid I don't. Why? It's difficult to tell whether, in fact, they are in true need. Some just make a uh, career of it and a business of it. And uh, I give to charities. I donate uh, to many. But I just uh, I don't give to the panhandlers. Oh, recently I've seen a few things on the media uh, where they have shown where people have been literally panhandling and then, in fact, take off in fancy cars or, or off to market, what have you. Some people told me they used to give but they stopped. I've lived here for 10 years and I've had a very bad experience and I'd no longer give money to Van Hellers at all. What, what was the bad experience, could you say? Uh, it was a course of like uh, over a year. Um, food thrown at me, like various um, panhandlers say, I just, want, I, I just want money, not food, for drugs. And uh, it just really ruined the experience of like trying to give to needy people. So I no longer do it. Every person I spoke with seemed to have some story that was the basis for whether or not they give to a panhandler. But the assumptions we make about panhandlers don't just affect whether you or I give out some spare change. Stereotypes about panhandlers can affect public policy. That's what happened in Parkersburg, West Virginia. Parkersburg wanted to stop people from begging for money on the streets. So like a lot of cities, they tried to ban panhandling. But they ran into an inconvenient problem. Banning panhandling is unconstitutional. Panhandling is a form of speech, and courts say you can't ban it outright. Other cities have tried other approaches. They ban aggressive panhandling, for example. Or they ban panhandling in certain areas, like near ATMs. Some cities have even put up meters that look like parking meters to accept spare change. The idea is that people who want to give should put money in the meters where it will go to agencies that help poor people, instead of just giving it directly to panhandlers. Parkersburg tried a different tack. Recently, the city put up signs trying to discourage people from giving. Dave Mistich is a reporter for West Virginia Public Broadcasting, and he's been covering this story. Hey, Dave. Hi, Trey. So what got you interested in this story? Well, actually, I grew up just south of Parkersburg, right outside of Parkersburg, actually. And I saw the story on the Associated Press wire at my desk here at work. And the story linked out to coverage from the local TV news station, WTAP. And actually, what really struck me was the way they were describing panhandlers in the anchor intro of the story. 
panhandlers pushing back against those signs right there. They're brand new. They're all around Parkersburg, basically asking people not to encourage them by giving to them. You've seen them at the traffic circle right underneath the railroad bridge by the hospital and on south side. They are more visible than ever right now, especially in this economy, needing and asking for your help. Good evening. I'm John Fortney. I'm Ashley. What really struck me about that anchor intro is the use of the word them. I'm sure people out there are familiar with the concept of otherness. And just the use of that word them, it, it sort of separates us and them sort of situation. It's so they're like some type of different type of people. Absolutely. And went to look up about the story and find out a little bit more about it. The gentleman that they interviewed was Charles Kelly. He had been cited for panhandling. The city had a, an ordinance in place that banned panhandling in a certain number of intersections across the city. The other interesting thing is that the ACLU actually had stepped in on behalf of Mr. Kelly and had sued the city uh, to try to get that ticket thrown out. The signs had gone up, but the city council was considering repealing that ordinance that banned panhandling. So what exactly do the signs say? They say, please do not contribute to the drug and alcohol problem by giving to panhandlers. Pretty straightforward, pretty direct and to the point. <laughs> so, so, okay, after you saw this story, you went out to speak to some of them. What, what was that like? Well, actually, the, the gentleman that WTAP had interviewed was Charles Kelly, again, the guy that was involved in the lawsuit with the ACLU. Uh, I contacted the ACLU. They got me in touch with Mr. Kelly. And I actually went out and spent about 25 minutes in South Parkersburg where he was panhandling literally 15 feet from one of these signs. The main reason I actually started panhandling two years ago was basically this right here. You see what it says there? Disconnect notice. I did that. November two years ago, and I got a ticket. Yeah, this is a uh, disconnect notice that he was showing me. He pulled it out of a backpack. Uh, it's a disconnect notice for the uh, for the electric company. He couldn't pay his bills. Um, Mr. Kelly told me that he's a disabled veteran. He had served in Japan during the Vietnam War. wasn't necessarily disabled there, but was a disabled veteran nonetheless. But he just couldn't quite make ends meet. See, I I get one thousand fifty five dollars a month. How did that comes rent? Electric, food. I get $16 in food stamps. How's a person to live on $16 worth of food? That's impossible. So you did a story about this, and I I read that you had a lot of interesting reader reaction to what Mr. Kelly had to say. Absolutely. I mean, it, it sort of spanned both sides of the spectrum. Some people felt very sympathetic for Mr. Kelly. Other people, whenever this quote right here that he says that he gets $1,055 a month, other people said, of course, I could live on that. So they were sort of upset by the fact that he was getting these benefits and was getting that much, but also somehow not being able to uh, pay the bills and make ends meet. Where where was it that Kelly was panhandling? Uh, It was this median at the entrance of a, a Walmart in South Parkersburg. You know, he's sitting right by this sign and You know, he had a sign of his own. It said that he was drug and alcohol free, but it's this little median. It's about, you know, five feet wide, 30 feet long, but just 15 feet away from him was this sign sort of looming right over him, you know, and traffic's going by. He had headphones on, was just sort of paying no attention to the cars going by. He would look up at them, but not get up out of his seat, just sort of in his own little world, but not bothering anyone. But if I'm driving by, how do I know that he's drug and alcohol free? Coincidentally enough, I asked him, and he pulled out a drug test and went down barbiturates, marijuana, cocaine, all these different types of drugs and alcohol. And all of those results on that drug test proved that he was drug and alcohol free. 
So he's sitting there right under this sign and that says, don't give. But do people give anyway? Yeah, as a matter of fact, there were a few people that gave to him. Um, they pulled right up to the stoplight there where Mr. Kelly was sitting. Um, a few people gave him money. Another guy gave him pepperoni rolls. So, you know, some people gave him literally cash in hand. Others just food or anything else they wanted to give him. Pepperoni rolls, which is kind of like a staple here in West Virginia. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. What's your name? James Workman. James Workman. Are you from Parkersburg here? Rockport. Rockport. You just gave... This man, how much money? I don't know, a couple bucks. And and, and right here's a sign, you know, know. What do you think about the signs? I don't like them. I mean, some people need to help and some people don't. You know, sure, some people might take advantage of it, but if they need to help, they need to help. So panhandlers aren't obeying the law, and the public is ignoring the signs. So what does the city say about this? I mean, I mean, why do they want these signs? Mayor, mayor Robert Newell was the, the mayor of Parkersburg there. Um, he says it's all about public public safety. You know, these, these people up here are so stupid that, that when light's green, they will stop and dig through the purse, backing up traffic to the Memorial Bridge to, to give them a buck, to give some guy who's whacked out, half laying in the grass, uh, a dollar. So um, we thought, well, maybe we can educate the public with these signs. Because they, they, people really do believe that they're helping, and they're not. Salvation Army will tell you that same thing. The, the, the Trobe Street Mission will tell you the same thing. Do not give these people money. That money doesn't give for what you think it does. You don't really often hear a, an elected official calling his constituents stupid. Absolutely. I was really struck by that. Um, but one of the things you can take away from that, of course, aside from that statement, is the fact that Mayor Newell has some really strong feelings about this. He does make a distinction between panhandlers and homeless people. The panhandlers we're having trouble with are not homeless. They, they, and some of them even drive to the location. I mean, they're not homeless at, at all. You can fall into their houses. We know where they live. They are doing this purely for alcohol and drugs and everything else, but certainly alcohol, because at the end of the Memorial Bridge, you can watch them any night of the week. Uh, when they're done for the day, they, they walk across to a drugstore that sells alcohol, buy alcohol, and they walk home. He says that there are those who panhandle and those that are homeless and that there's all these services for the homeless and that the panhandlers aren't making use of all those services. Dave Mistage is a reporter for West Virginia Public Broadcasting, and he's been following this Parkersburg, West Virginia panhandling controversy. Thanks for telling us about this, Dave. Thanks, Trey. Dave Mistich first reported on this story last fall. He tells us the signs are still up, but there is a new development on the story. The panhandler he spoke with, Charles Kelly, settled a lawsuit with the city after they cited him for panhandling. Kelly says he's using the money to publish a children's book. So Charles Kelly apparently has proof that he isn't buying drugs or alcohol, but maybe he's the exception. A lot of people agree with Mayor Newell. They believe most of the money panhandlers get goes to booze and drugs. I wanted to know if that was true. I wanted to know if anyone had done any scientific, academic research on how panhandlers spend money. So the Us and Them team did some digging, and we found a lot of academic articles about panhandling. But the research tends to focus on how to get rid of panhandlers, not how panhandlers spend money. And really, how would you figure it out? Do a survey? Pose as a panhandler and see what you make? 
Lots of America's beggars are not needy. They're just freeloaders who've found a good racket. This is from Fox News. John Stossel posed as a panhandler, wearing a fake beard. I just begged for an hour, but I did well. If I did this for an eight-hour day, I would have made 90 bucks. 23000 for a year. Tax-free. That easy money is why cities are filled with panhandling. Other reporters have done this, too. Back in 1999, a reporter named John Stackhouse spent a week in Toronto posing as a homeless person. He wrote a series of articles for The Globe that made a big splash. It was written up in journalism journals, and it was even cited in scholarly articles about panhandling. Stackhouse reported that panhandlers can make a lot of money, and he wrote that most of the money goes to feed their addictions. Well, I questioned the findings of his report because uh, it seemed to suggest that panhandling was a quite lucrative uh, occupation, so to speak. This is Dr. Stephen Huang. He's a medical doctor with a master's degree in public health from Harvard, and he teaches at the University of Toronto. He also works at a homeless shelter, and he studies homeless people. He doesn't think you can get good information about panhandling by trying it yourself. The person who is pretending to be a panhandler does not look like a real panhandler. In the Fox video, Stossel looks scruffy, but he's smiling and making eye contact. He looks amused by the whole thing. Thank you so much, sir. Stossel says if he did this all day, he'd make 90 bucks. But Huang says most real panhandlers don't do it all day. What they do is they often have a a target amount that they would like to have, let's say, $30. And once they have that amount, they'll stop panhandling and go uh, spend the money. Huang says there may be panhandlers that make a lot of money. There probably are, but most don't. And he has the data to back that up. He is the co-author of the only scholarly study we could find anywhere of how much panhandlers make and what they do with the money. Huang's research team offered panhandlers money to take a 20-minute survey. What we figured was that if the amount of money that we were offering was less than they could earn panhandling for 20 minutes, they probably would refuse to talk to us. And sure enough, what we found is that if we offered $1 to talk to them for 20 minutes, almost all of them said no. But as we increased the amount, more and more of them said yes, and when we offered $5 for 20 minutes of their time, almost everyone said yes. Which suggests that most panhandlers make less than $15 an hour. Wong says the panhandlers his team talked to made an average of $35 Canadian dollars a day. And how do they spend it? What the panhandlers self-reported was that the largest proportion of the money that they obtained was spent on food, and the second largest category after that was cigarettes. Uh, There were some people who reported spending substantial amounts on alcohol and drugs, but on average that was less than the amount reported spent on food and cigarettes. But Huang is quick to point out that this was a survey and people may have lied. They may have understated what they spent on drugs and alcohol. So, no, there really is not any authoritative study that demonstrates what panhandlers do with the money that they receive. And ironically, even though I've done one of the few scientific studies to look at this question, I too uh, have to resort to anecdotal experience to make my decision about whether I give to people who are panhandling or not. Well, do you? Do you give to panhandlers? 
so I do not give money to panhandlers uh, based on my experience uh, as a physician working at a shelter and often encountering some of those men on the street uh, asking for money around in the neighborhood. The concern that the money might be used for drugs or alcohol is actually a reasonable one. But he doesn't think it's humane to just walk by them. So he chats with them and gives them gift cards to restaurants like Subway. I think that when a person gives to a panhandler, it, it really makes us feel a little bit better about ourselves. It makes us feel that we didn't turn a blind eye to the person's need. I think that... But, 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 but would I be doing any good? I mean, any long-term good? I think that that's a great question. The, I think ultimately we're not doing any long-term good if we give a dollar or two to a person who's panhandling. So I think it's quite reasonable for people to ask themselves, if, if I'm not going to give money to panhandlers on the street, which I think is, you know, not an unreasonable thing to say, what am I going to do to make a difference for poverty and to give people a chance to, uh, you know, make a better life for themselves in our city? So the bottom line from Huang is most people who panhandle are really poor and they don't make much money. And they spend it on food, but they also spend it on cigarettes, drugs, and alcohol. But none of that really helps me understand why panhandling makes some people so angry. They have the most deep-seated sense of entitlement that I've ever come across. Like this expert quoted on Fox News, or Mayor Newell from Parkersburg, West Virginia. He's disgusted with panhandlers and the people who give to them. I've been surprised how angry some people on the Us and Them Facebook page get when they talk about panhandling, too. I asked Stephen Huang what he thinks about that. I think that panhandling is often a hot-button topic because it's so visible to those of us who are not marginalized and disadvantaged, and it reminds us of the, the great gaps between the rich and the poor in our society. And it also makes us uncomfortable because we have this fear of urban disorder. You know, if there's a panhandler on every street corner, then th- there's going to be a high crime rate, that we're in danger, that there's something wrong with our city. And I think that beyond the question of should we give money to panhandlers, there is, I think, a certain response uh, among some people that, you know, this is something really bad and we need to make it go away. We need to make this panhandling problem go away. It it is, uh, in a sense, sometimes a discussion about how can we make the evidence of the problem go away rather than address the, the real problem. But what is the real problem? How you answer that question might have a lot to do with how you lean politically. A conservative might blame the panhandler. They're just lazy. They don't want to work. A liberal might blame the system. That could be me. It could be you. It could be anybody. But I think it's too easy to say that how you react to panhandlers is some kind of Rorschach test as to whether or not you're liberal or conservative. Whether you think of panhandlers as us or them. You can be a guy who's devoted his life to helping the homeless like Stephen Huang and still decide it's not a good idea to give money to panhandlers. I still don't know what I should do the next time a guy asks me for bus fare. And now I have a new question, the question that Stephen Huang asked. If I'm not going to drop a dollar into the hat, what will I do to help people who need help? 
You've been listening to Us and Them. Coming soon on the podcast... If we can dissect frogs and try to understand the intimate workings of a frog's body, wouldn't it be important for a young woman and a young man to know what a fallopian tube is? People have strong feelings about what children should learn about sex in school. But one expert tells us that what most people learn about sex in school is not much. So how do we figure out how it works? I was visiting an aquarium and two dolphins were mating. Suddenly everything made sense to me and I understood sex for the first time. And I remember being very embarrassed for the dolphins. We're working on a podcast about sex ed and we'd like to hear how you found out about the birds and bees. You can record a memo on your smartphone telling your story and send it to me, tk at wvpublic.org. That's T-K-A-Y at W-V-P-U-B-L-I-C dot O-R-G. Our show was written and produced by me, Trey Kay, and Catherine Winter. And Catherine also edited this show. Our show was mixed by Lori Stern and Chris Julin. Michael Lipton and Tristan Lozow wrote and performed our music. Us and Them is made possible by the generous help of the wonderful people at West Virginia Public Broadcasting, with additional support from the CRC Foundation. Our stories that focus on West Virginia are made possible by a grant from the West Virginia Humanities Council. If you've got ideas for a future Us and Them program, you can send me an email or get in touch with us via Facebook or Twitter. Also, subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you grab your podcasts. But if you use iTunes, do us a favor and write us a favorable review if you like the show. See you next time on Us and Them.